What is up, Fathom Church? So good to see you all, a lively bunch, shaking hands, hugging necks. If you're new here, you'll get used to that. It's just kind of like family reunion moment, like you haven't seen people in a while, or maybe meet some new cousins you didn't know you had, new brothers and sisters you didn't know you had, uh, and, and we, we love that. So, uh, so thankful you're here with us, excited about what God's going to do and speak in this time. I want to shout out to everybody watching online, listening online, driving down the road. We're thinking of you, uh, praying for you today. So thanks for hanging out with us online. Uh, and I'm excited for today. We got a bunch of fun stuff taking place. A couple things I want you to know about that are taking place on site today. First is we are launching our fall anchor group season. And how many of you guys had fun? Yeah, absolutely. How many of you guys had fun with our, our summer groups? Did you guys have a blast? That was so good. Uh, we're really excited and expectant for what God is going to do in our groups um, this season. Taryn and I are going to be spending a few minutes towards the end of service just sharing our heart for you for groups and what uh, an impact groups has made on our life. And, you know, we do the rows thing on Sunday, and, and, and rows are good. There's a place for rows, but, man, life and, and, and discipleship and really relationships are, are happen in circles. They happen around a table. They happen around a, a small group of people that you can do life with and, and learn and grow in, in your faith. So we'd love to invite you to be a part of that this season. It's also uh, it's because of the hurricane and Labor Day, we pushed back our DNA sessions to today. So today is DNA session one. And if you're new to our church and like, I have no idea what that is, like taking blood samples for DNA, like just to see... <laughs> you know, ancestry DNA. Nope, not that kind of situation. Our DNA sessions are really the starting place for everybody here at Fathom. It's, it's a place for, to get to know who we are, our core beliefs, so that uh, you, you can uh, ask any questions you may have, and, and uh, so you know that this is the right house for you. Also, we kind of talk to you a little bit about our story and our core values as a church, so you can just really connect and make this home. And, and session two, which will take place next weekend, is really just a, an environment that we create right after service, the first two weeks of each month, um, to, to really connect you and to get to know how God's created you and what gifts he's putting inside of you uh, to use for his glory in his church. And so we'd love to just invite you right after service, after a group launch, to be a part of, uh, of that. And so I'm also really excited because we are kicking off a new series today called Anxious for Nothing, right? Is that pretty true in your life? Like Anxious for Nothing? We're actually going to look at a scripture later in the series in then which the scriptures tell us, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. And no one has ever heeded his advice, ever. <laughs> like, we stay anxious about everything. Like, if it's politics or if it's our family or our children or stuff going on in church or finances, we, we find something to fill the void uh, in our mind to be anxious about. And you, you've probably been really aware of it over the past, I'd say, decade, that the conversation, um, the volume has turned up on the conversation around mental health. And the, not only the, 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 the volume and the, the frequency in which we talk about mental health, but, but I think the way our society looks at mental health, and I think the way the church looks at mental health has shifted. And overall, I think it's, it's, it's been a really positive thing that's taken place that it's, we're, ta- we're talking about it now. And we can have this conversation and it's not uh, an elephant in the room. It, it, it's not kind of something we just kind of leave in the background, but it's something we're we're willing to discuss, but so I think it's been overall good, but I think the reality of why this conversation has become so potent and so frequent and the volume's gotten louder is because a lot of us are really struggling with it. And because we've watched people that we admired in the limelight. It was just five years ago that Robin Williams, like everybody's like favorite comedian, just one of the best of all time, just to make us laugh. It's such joy that he brought to the world just five years ago. 
he, he gave up his, his life in suicide. And, and, and if we, we didn't see it from a, a celebrity, we saw it from local pastors around the nation who preach hope on Sunday but then walk out and feel just as hopeless on Monday, struggling to find hope in their mental and their thought life. And, you know, I think we all have a story when it comes to our emotional and our mental well-being. We all have moments in which anxiety and stress or maybe depression or, or, or maybe in, in your family, like our, our family's been touched by uh, other mental illnesses, and, and I'm guessing your family has too. Uh, very real things that people are, are hurting with and, and struggling with. And, and, and it's so, imp- so I think it's, it's, it's touched all of our lives in some way. I won't go into all of my story and my journey on this. It would take too long. But, but 2017 was an interesting year for me. It started how we usually start our year as a church. And, and that's where um, we, we start with a fast, a tw- uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, actually, before we got to that fast, uh, around Christmas time, I started dealing with plantar fasciitis. You ever dealt with that? And oh my gosh, it's so painful. I mean, it was just sharp. I couldn't walk. I mean, it was, it was brutal. And so I kind of got got some new inserts, started doing some stretching and got through that. And then at the beginning of our fast, the Saturday going into the Sunday, I'm vomiting all night long to get up here. And then so, and then I vomit all night and then I get up here and I, and I preach. And then we go through the rest of the fast. And on the last weekend to preach the last message, I'm throwing up all night again and then get up here and preach on the next weekend. And then like two months later, I have like a, a thing that goes on with my ankle and I hurt my ankle and, it, and it's just not right for several months. And, and then I get through the summer and I start having these heart things that are going on and it feels like I'm having a heart attack like every minute over like a stretch of 10 minutes. I feel like I'm having a, like this tight, like sharp pain. And so I go through this. Some of you guys have heard me talk about that story. Uh, and then after I get through that, there was another thing and another thing. By October, I'm having, we're away at a conference, and, and I'm having these sharp intestinal pains. And, and I don't know what's going on. It feels like something needs to get out of my body that's not functioning right. And, and I'm having these sharp pains in the middle of the night. And so I'm in a city I, I don't know much about at 2 a.m. because I can't sleep. And I'm just going to whatever gas stations are open to get some Rolaids and some Tums and just shove it down my throat and hoping that it helps. And nothing, laid up in bed all year long. It was like physical thing, physical thing. And, and what you probably know if you've ever dealt with any kind of physical struggle, which we all have, is that there's this mental thing that's going on while we're going through that. And, and I, I think what I learned through that season, why, when I was laid up in bed that night and that weekend, at the end of that year, towards the end of that year, I felt like God was just making clear, look, Kyle, it's all, and I, I knew this, I knew this, but God was making it crystal clear in my life that he, he wanted me to take back control of my physical body in which I wasn't honoring my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And 2018 began to, to, to make some headway um, in that. Um, but I, I learned that, that really all this stuff is connected because oftentimes here's what we do is we, we treat like our, our life is this box and, and inside the box we've got all these little pieces of our life. We've got our relational life and uh, we've got our thought life, what we're kind of going through uh, in uh, our, our head through that season. And we've got our physical life, our physical body. And we've got all these different compartments of our life, these different boxes we put. And then our spiritual life, of course, is a part of, of that. And then we've, we have our, our work life. And we've got all these parts of our life and, and uh, the, the last one, our financial life. So we've got all these pieces of our life and we keep it in these segmented little boxes. And we think our life is is like this, but 
what I learned th- through this season, I feel like I knew this here, but I don't know that I knew it here until that season, is that our, our spiritual life isn't a little box that fits into our, our life as a whole. It, it, it's really, our, our whole life is what's spiritual. Our whole life is what's spiritual. And all these things, how, how we're doing financially, it's spiritual, and, and what, uh, finding meaning in our work, it's, it's, it's spiritual, and, and, and what's going on in our thought life, which we're going to talk about today, what's going on in our physical body, like, e- even, even if it is an attack from the enemy, and this is usually where we want to, e- even if it is an attack from any uh, enemy, God uses it for good, for his glory, like, he uses it for our good, even, that's what the scriptures say, for those that love him, our relationships, it's all, it's all connected, and it's, and it's all spiritual, but we leave it in, in these little boxes, and we say, well, that's our, our life, and, and we're not happy with certain parts of it, and we're struggling through certain parts of it, but it's, it's, it's all spiritual. And one of those elements that I think is a core, core part of that is our thought life, and how much our thought life actually steers all of this. I learned this uh, last year as I um, got invited. I've told this story briefly. Some of you will remember it, uh, in which I started to run. Um, and I had to understand that getting my body in shape physically was actually very much tied to what's going on in my mind. Uh, because I, I was uh, asked to run a half marathon, and I kind of laughed. I'm like, why in the world would you ask me? I don't run unless I'm being chased. That's just the way my life is. And um, that's where we're flip-flops most of the time, because I'm not planning on being chased, you know? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I realized as I began to, to run the first half mile on the first day, and I walked half of it. <laughs> I, I walked that first half mile and ran that first half mile, and then the next day I tried to do a little bit more, and I tried to do a little bit more, and I got to a place, and all I'm doing, all I'm repeating in my brain is, I'm not a runner, I'm, I'm not a runner. Like, this is so stupid. Why am I even trying this? I'm not a runner. And, and I found out in that first week that I will never be able to accomplish this goal if I don't change my thought life, if I don't change my mindset that I'm not a runner. And so I started having conversations with runners and starting, uh, started stretching like a runner and started reading up on how to be a runner and to walk in that. And I was able to finish that that half marathon, limping as I was, <laughs> limping and walking as I was across that finish line, I finished it. Um, but I, I believe that God wants to speak something over the next four weeks. We're, we're starting this series called Anxious for Nothing. And I don't think one weekend uh, out of this met, is, is not a fix-all for all of our mental, mental health and all of our thought life. That's not what this is. But what I, I really am praying, I'm praying that we find a foundation for freedom in our thought life. Like a found, like I think we're gonna get some principles from the Word of God. Like I, I'm not a psychoanalyst. I'm I'm I'm, I'm not a, like your counselor. I'm I'm your pastor, and so I'm gonna teach the Word of God. And I, I believe that we're gonna have some foundational principles from the Word of God that are gonna set some of us free from anxiety and stress because. It, it's coming your way if it's not there already. If you're not anxious about something, if we probably thought about it, we're all probably anxious about something right now. I believe that this is going to really help us. And so I, I want to turn to Luke chapter 10. And I, I almost went to Luke chapter 10 a few weeks ago because it actually fits really well in our last series, The Best Yes. It fits great in that series, but I really felt like God wanted to use it as a launching point for this series. And I'll just jump right into the text here. Uh, we're in the home of Martha, and it's the, really the story of, of Mary and Martha. Some of you may be 
uh, familiar with it. As Jesus and his disciples uh, were on their way, he came to uh, a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's um, feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. You can just kind of hear Jesus' voice here. At least I can't. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken from her. I think oftentimes when we look at the scriptures and the account of, of the gospels, and we wonder, who was Jesus closest to in his life and oftentimes we think it's that core three of disciples that walked with him. And, and maybe that's true, but I personally think, based on my study of the scriptures, that the three people that Jesus was closest to in his life were a sibling group, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I think this is deeply revealed by Jesus weeping over Lazarus. He had raised other people from the dead, but he wept over Lazarus. This was a family group that I think he was really close-knit with, that he didn't just walk three years with. He had actually known them for a little bit longer. That's just my personal uh, belief here. But, but Martha here is, is hosting. She's the host of the small group, of the party here. And um, in, in this moment when Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, is in the room, Savior of the world, is in the room, Room, and she's focused on what? Like everything else and everybody else except the heart of what that moment is about. She, she, she finds herself distracted by not just all the stuff that needs to be done, but she's distracted by Mary and like what Mary is supposed to be doing. And, and what's even funnier about this is she's focused on what Jesus should be doing about Mary. Come on, isn't this our society right now? More than we get bent out of shape about a, a particular issue or a particular injustice, we get bent out of shape on how other people are responding to the injustice. And we get more focused on the, the, the people that are not doing what they're supposed to. Come on. Like, this is kind of our world right now. Whether it's political or it's in your work life, or whether it's in your family, we get, we're so, we're so distracted. And I think we, this is, showing us is that we're, we're kind of mi we're missing the point. And, and I think for Martha, like she thinks she's in the right. Don't we always think we're in the right? She thinks she's in the right and she thinks Jesus needs to correct this and Mary needs to be doing this. And, and what we find from this is, is it wasn't Mary that needed a change of perspective. It, it wasn't Jesus that needed a change in perspective. It was Martha that needed a change in perspective. That's really where all this begins. There, there's a lot to this text, and, and I just want to simplify it for us today with one sentence, with one sentence that I, that I want to kind of dive into and unpack over the next few minutes. And here's the sentence. We are all hosts. We're, we're all hosts distracted by uh, fighting the enemy of distraction. You can go ahead and throw it up there. We're, we are all hosts fighting the enemy of distraction from making Jesus the center of our life or the center of our thought life. We're all hosts, just like Martha is, fighting the enemy of distraction, just like Martha is, from doing one thing, and it's to make Jesus the center of our life and the center of our thought life. And so I want to I unpack that, kind of one phrase, one line at a time. Let's talk about 
we're all hosts. I actually believe that Martha has a spiritual gift of hospitality. You wouldn't know it by this text, but I think as you watch her progression um, uh, in the scriptures that she actually has a gift of hospitality, which I think when we think about the gift of hospitality, we think about someone who you know, knows how to keep a tidy house, who likes to have people over, uh, those type of things, that knows how to entertain and put a party on. But really, biblical hospitality is not about all the preparations, but it's really about how you make people feel when they step in the door. Like that is the essence of hospitality, of hosting. And the scriptures tell us that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That it's no, as Christians, it's no longer us who lives, but it's Christ who lives in us, that we are simply, we're all hosts. You know, as the conversation around mental health has uh, ramped up over the past decade and other conversations that have been happening is about the toxic things that we ingest and spend our lives surrounded by. Uh, Taryn, as many of you know, has been on an essential oil journey in our home, reading our home of toxicity, and she has done it. There's no, there's no toxic toothpaste or, or dish soap or laundry soap or anything that goes on our bodies or we consume is from the earth and from the plants, which is really amazing. And and some of you have been on the same journey with your diet. I mean, we see non-GMO on everything right now because they know that's what we want. We want to get that toxic stuff out of our life. And so we begin to get all these toxic things out of what we ingest and what's in our home, except we still allow a lot of toxic things in in our mind, a lot of toxicity in our brains that we've yet to rid ourselves of. You see, our, our, our minds, our thoughts, our, our mental real estate. And, and you know, in your home, like home, and you moved in, maybe you bought a home and, and moved in there, and there's that one neighbor who painted their house like the Barney Purple. Sorry if anybody's house is Barney Purple. But um, they painted their house that Barney Purple, and they don't cut their grass, um, and there's a car stuck in there, you know, like the Jeff Foxworthy thing. Like, sorry if you, that's you. Um, but what it does, when a home's not cared for, uh, it brings down the value of all the other real estate around it. And what's taking place is we're allowing a lot of toxic thoughts that are taking up real estate in our brain and is bringing our overall spiritual well-being down. What we think about ourselves where we can't even say, I am blessed, I am called, I'm highly fit. We can't say those things because of all the toxic thoughts that are taking up all the real estate. Dr. Caroline Leaf, um, who is uh, a a neuroscientist and also a a born-again believer, and she does a lot of teaching around this, and and she teaches on something called cognitive dissonance. Some of you, um, you know, uh, mental health therapists may be familiar with cognitive dissonance. It's basically this. It's where uh, we say one thing, but not only do we do another thing, we spend our life actually thinking another thing basically lying, (laughs) basically lying. We say one thing, but we just think about another thing all the time. This happens all the time in the church. Like uh, we say we're more than conquerors and then we go out, we walk out into the parking lot and then we we have all all the thoughts that are in our brain, all the toxic thoughts are are, are defeatism and how we're not good enough. And we just just let those thoughts persist. It's kind of hosts we're being. Or or we say we're blessed. Like, how are you doing? Well, we're blessed. And then we spend the rest of our day complaining about everything that's wrong. What Caroline Leaf says is that cognitive dissonance, over time it creates brain damage. 
who are actually causing damage to our brain. And I get why this has happened in the church is because, well, there's been a lot of movements that have said, if you just say it enough times, it'll become true. And some of us have kind of fit in, and I think this kind of gets you know, comes out in, in what we probably call Christianese. You guys familiar with Christianese? It's like where we, we have all these cute little sayings, you know, that, that sound good and it sounds like things are good. And that's why you don't hear me talk like that. I, I try, to, try to talk like I, I do on stage and off stage. This is what you get. This is, this is who I am. You don't hear a lot of Christianese because I think it, it's actually damaging. We're not being honest and look, and we can be struggling with some of these truths, be struggling to know that we're blessed, and we can still say that scripture and believe it, but we can't also be repeating the negative thoughts all the time. We can't be allowing the toxic thoughts. That's actually killing us. In the meantime, we actually got to be filled with the truth, which we're going to talk about more in a second. And so we're fighting through some of the stuff. Why we feel so overwhelmed, why we feel so exhausted mentally sometimes is because we just got this cognitive dissonance going on, and it's, and it's killing us in the process. And I think for, for Martha, she's a host. She's a host here, but in my opinion, she is immature in that gift at this time. She's immature in doing that because biblical hospitality would be caring for Jesus, would be in the moment. She could actually worship through that. And I think we actually kind of get off base a little bit on, on how we look at, at the work and, and that, that gift of that. We'll look at that here in just a moment. But I think immaturity is kind of where she's at in the process. And I, and I just want to tell you that immaturity it leaves it an opportunity for the enemy. It, it's, just, it's just the enemy's opportunity. When we stay immature, that, hey, when I begin to realize that I'm being distracted and I don't move forward in that over time, I'm, I'm choosing to stay immature in the Lord. So that, that's the maturity, that, that we're more like Christ. And, and I think in this, um, uh, we can see that it, it's very, like through Martha, we can see that it's possible to be doing all the right things on the outside, to have the appearance of maturity based on works. But really, internally, we're still very immature in, in, in our thought life. So we can be doing everything, we can be doing all the right works, we can be serving at church, we can, you know, we can be uh, you know, serving our neighbors and, and serving the poor, we can be doing all these great things, but just be so broken emotionally and, and, and still emotionally uh, immature in our thought life. So I just want to ask you, what kind of host are you? What kind, what kind of host are you? Are you one that's finding the distraction and everything else? Or are, are, are we ones that are going to focus and find ourselves at the feet of Jesus? A men, mental and spiritual posture of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because we're all hosts. But we're all fighting this, the enemy of distraction. We've got lots of them. They're different for each one of us. Uh, if you're a teacher and, and you know like your heart is to, to pour into a child and, and invest your life in them, but then you find yourself focused on their test scores or their behaviors or all the other things that have to be done, and it's, you know, we're, we're, we're distracted from that. As a pastor, there's like a thousand things that have to be prepared and a hundred different people who make them happen throughout the week. And I, I know it's about Jesus. And I know it's about the glory of God. I know it's to, to, to raise up people in the Lord. But it's just as easy for me to get distracted on all the preparations that need to be made. Like worship leaders that come up here. And, and we know that, hey, it's about Jesus. It's for the glory of God. But then we kind of make it about the music. We kind of miss the point. 
right? As parents, as, as, as husbands, as wives, a, a husband who knows like, hey, my role is to provide for my family, but then I kind of neglect the emotional side of caring for my family, and I kind of miss the, kind of the big part of this. It's so easy to get distracted. I've, I find that Martha gets really distracted by three different things today that I think we do too. The first is the preparations, just all the logistics, all the, the work that has to be done. She was distracted. The, the Greek word here is perispeo, and it, and it literally means to draw away. You know how easy it is to draw a dog away from something? You know what I mean? Like just hold some meat, just hold some food, and they're gone. Whatever they were focused on, you can kind of pull them uh, away there. In many ways, uh, we're the same way. We're just drawn away so quickly. We're just drawn away by the preparations. And what often we do is we blame the distractions that we've allowed. This happens in our house. Beckett, our oldest, has like a certain amount of reading he has to do every day. And uh, at the end of the day, and he's usually doing this while Taryn's making dinner and, and, and I'm r- walking around doing you know, things around the house or I'll sit down on the couch and watch some sports center or something like that. And, and uh, he'll come in there and he'll want to read in the room where the music is and where the TV is and where the other kids are. And I'm like, dude, you're not going to get anything out of this. You're going to struggle with comprehending that because you have no ability to focus in the the midst of this distraction. Distraction, we're allowing it. But how many times do we blame the distraction for why we're distracted? And I can simply just turn my phone on, do not disturb. I can put my phone in another room. I can turn the TV off. And we, we blame all the distraction. We blame the people who are the distractions. And I think in this scenario, I think it's very possible in this story of Martha to get a bad theology on work. And coming out of my lips from someone who's a recovering workaholic, you've, you've heard me talk a lot about finding a rest, but, but I, I, I want to caution us from, from, in this text from developing a theology of work that's not biblical because our work can be worship. It, it can, it can be worship. It, it's possible, and more mature in her gift of hospitality, to sit at a posture preparing the meal in which she's sitting before Jesus. Like, there, there's more that's spiritual in our life than just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to teaching. Like, it's, it's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. So we can take that posture. And, and so th- th- work wasn't her problem. Worry was her problem. Distraction was her problem. She was focused on the wrong thing, so she couldn't worship. And that's what Mary understood in this, that she didn't. God is actually honored and worshiped uh, when, we, when we take a mental and emotional posture of sitting at his feet. It, it wasn't just the preparations that distracted Martha. It was the people, too. Let's be real. Most of our lives, what's got us anxious? What's got us distracted as people? Your boss, coworker, person who didn't talk to you at church on Sunday, you know, your ex, it's got, got you distracted. And, and I think something that, that really kind of hung Martha up here and, and did for me for a very long time was her expectations on other people, her expectations on everybody else. I used to live in bondage to my expectations for everybody else. Seeking perfection out of, out of people and, and systems. 
perfection that I and myself could not stand up to. And I find that we, we do this now too. We've got these expectations for everybody else. And, and here's what it comes down to, what it boils down to, is that we're seeking for perfection in everything else and in every person when the only perfect person that's ever lived this earth is Jesus Christ. All the perfection we're looking to find in the world and in everything else, we found in Jesus it's been fulfilled. And if that's you today and you're battling with expectations on everybody else and them not living up to, to standards and, and perfection, you, you just need to whisper the three words that Jesus whispered while he hung on the cross. It is finished. He did it. It's perfection we're seeking out there, he fulfilled there. And when I operate from that place that it's finished, I'm no longer trying to coerce this out of everyone else. I can actually be set free. It wasn't just preparation she was worried about and distracted by. It was people that she was distracted by. And the third thing, I, I think I've missed it for so long in this text, and, and I'm guessing you, you might have missed it too. I know I did for a very long time. And did you hear it when she said to Jesus, say, hey, Jesus, like, aren't you going to do something? Aren't you going to tell Mary to come help me so I don't have to do this all by myself? So I don't have to do this alone? It wasn't just the preparation and the, and the people. It was the pain that was distracting her too. I want to speak to this in two different, two different ways. Um, one, she had a gift of hospitality, in my opinion. She had a gift of hospitality. And, and here's something you need to know about whatever your giftedness is, whatever your strengths or skills or passions are. Oftentimes, if you're in a small group or a small room or a team of 10 or 20 people, you know how many people are going to have your specific gift? Maybe one or two. That means a lot of times in walking out, you're calling and you're gifting, you're going to do it alone. Get used to it. We can do things together, but, but just because your giftedness is hospitality doesn't mean my giftedness is hospitality. Does not mean that's actually what I'm supposed to be doing to worship and, and honor God. And some of us need to be freed from this thought that we think everybody else should be doing exactly what we're doing. No, then we would cease to be the body of Christ that he has called us to be. We're actually called to walk in our giftedness, and many times it's going to be alone. And can, can we do it faithfully alone and not worry about what everybody else is doing and just be faithful? And the second thing is Jesus is in his, his early 30s. Uh, Martha's somewhere in that neck of the woods, but she's a woman of means. She's a woman of means. She's got a nice home. There's no mention of any uh, husband or spouse in the scriptures and, and I think there's a reality here that's very possible that, that Martha's just lonely. Like, her friends have gotten married. Her, her, you know, they got married when they were 14 and 15, and, and here she is in her 30s, and, and she's just struggling with that. And I, and I, don't, I don't know if, if that's a, maybe something you're going through as a, a single adult today, but I, I, I don't know what the thing that's distracting you, whether it's people or preparations or some pain that's got got your mind divided, but I believe that God wants us to focus us back and make him the center of our life and make, us, make him the center of our thought life. He, he wants to set us free from all that we're distracted by and get back to our primary focus and it's to make him the center. You know, it, it doesn't matter if we're 
in a, in a, in a room like this listening to a sermon or, or we're waiting tables at our job, we can have a, a spiritual and emotional posture of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Everything is, is spiritual. And so I want to talk to you for just a few minutes as we begin to close on what does this mean? What does this mean to make Jesus the center of our life? What does it mean to, to make Jesus the, the center of our thought life? What Mary understood in this moment and Martha had not comprehended yet. Well, before I do that, I'm going to make some English majors and some like English teachers uh, really matter, just people who love the English language, because um, I'm going to do something you're not supposed to do, a double negative. So if that's you and you get really bent out of shape about, about this stuff, you can just remember, it is finished. Jesus, per- he's perfected. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm warning you, it'll be over soon, but I, I want to make sure we know what it's not. Making Jesus the center of our life does not mean that we can't be hurting. You, Jesus can still be the center and you be suffering and, and, and struggling through a season, whether it's physical, mental, emotional. Those things can both be true. In, in, in fact, so you're not cast out because you're struggling. In fact, the scriptures tell us that we will su- suffer. Like he didn't say if you suffer, he said when you suffer. <laughs> Just in this life, it's, it's broken, it's flawed. Like we are going to go through things. We're gonna experience that, that pain. So I want you to know that. Je- Jesus himself said, it's not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. He didn't come for people who's like, no, no, this ain't for me. I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. He, he, we are left out until we recognize and acknowledge our need for a savior. And that we need him, that we are sick in our own uh, life. So it doesn't mean that. And, and so it, that means that, that Jesus actually came to this earth to feel the depth of pain. Whatever you're suffering, he came to this earth to feel the depth of betrayal, to feel the depth of rejection, to feel the depth of abuse. He felt it all. He felt it all and he felt it all for us. So yes, you can make Jesus the center and still be hurting. It, it's a truth. And the second thing uh, that it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean um, that you can't be honest. And I think for some of us, this is where we struggle. We're like, well, if I'm blessed and I can't also be struggling, right? I can't be honest. I can't tell anybody that. And, and this is where this culture of unhealth has happened in the church. Because our thought life, our emotional life shouldn't look like the rest of the world, but it does. And oftentimes it's worse. Because we've got this culture of shame throughout our churches, and because we, we don't feel like it's safe to be honest. And what we've tried to create here is un, our first two core values, unconditional love and authentic community. That means, first of all, it's okay to be not okay. You can be real, be honest with, tell us what's really going on in your marriage. Tell us what's really taking place there. there ju, there's no judgment. We're going to love you right where you're at. But it also means that we're gonna, we are going to be called beyond that. Jesus doesn't want to leave us the way he found us. He, he wants to lead us beyond where we have always been. And here's the reason you can be honest. Because Jesus knows the truth already. He is the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> you, you, can be, you, can, you can share the truth with the one who is the truth. You know, I don't mean to catch you there. That was a little Christianese right there. Come on. You know it was. Sometimes it just feels good as a preacher just to let out some of that. So, um, but I, I, I want to close, and I want to close real practically 
Uh, not what it doesn't mean, but what does it actually mean? What does it actually look like for us to make Jesus the center of our, our thought life, to make Jesus the center of our life? And I think these are so important. If we can grab a hold of these, we can move forward in this. Because it's cool to get rid of some distractions. Great. It, it, it's cool to understand we're hosts, but if we don't get this part, then, then it's all a waste. Here, here's what it means. First, we've got to bring our thoughts and emotions into the light. Bring our thoughts and emotions into the light. Look at the scripture. First uh, uh, John 1, uh, 5 through 9 says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie. We like cognitive dissonance. If we keep on doing it, if we keep on saying that, we just lie. Uh, and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It actually brings us some community that we haven't had because we're willing to be honest. The shame's not there. We actually can be honest and have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, which purifies us from all sin. That, that's when the transfer, transformation happens because we're walking in the light. And so just going back to the point, I, I think what it boils down to is honesty. It boils down to honesty. What it means to bring thoughts and emotions into the light is to get very real about what we're really feeling, what we're really going through. Some of us are so bottled up in our emotions that the top's about to blow off at any moment. So we keep blowing up on our kids. That's why we keep blowing up on our spouse. That's why we want to punch our boss every time we see him. Like we're just so bottled up in our emotions. We, we, and look, we, we don't need to tell everybody 100%, but somebody needs to know 100%. You, you need to have somebody that's safe in this world for you to go to. Like, hey, this is, what's, this is how I really feel. This is what I'm really going. Because what happens is we get aware of it. And, and we can't really do something about it. We can't begin to make changes unless we're aware of it. And I know just as mental health has been talked about a lot in the past 10 years and the conversation has ramped up, it also has ramped up around this idea of self-awareness. And self-awareness is good. We need self-awareness. And that's what this is. To bring, are we aware of what we're actually feeling? Or are we just going to keep lashing out? Or are we just going to keep acting out? Are we actually aware of what's going on? So self-awareness is good. We need it. But self-awareness is not the end goal. Sanctification, a.k.a. being more like Jesus, is the end goal. But until we bring it into the light, until we tell someone, look, I'm mad at God, chains can't fall off. And so we just, we just get real and we have awareness. That's actually what I'm mad about. I'm not mad about my kids. I'm mad at God because he took fill in the blank. We need some self-awareness. We need some things to get in the light or else we're going to stay in the dark and we're going to lie to ourselves and we're not living in the truth. God wants freedom for us today. We gotta be honest about what we're experiencing. Second thing is we gotta lead those toxic thoughts away. We need to be like air traffic control. We see them coming in, like you're heading that way. You're headed to San Francisco. You're not landing right here at 2735. You, you can find a different place to land. They're not landing here. Come on, they're, they're flying in and out all day long. We gotta get aware of them and we gotta lead them away. Look at what this verse says, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we do what? We take captive every thought to make it obedient of Christ. We don't stay captive, we take it captive. In perispeo, the word for distraction means to draw away. We're being drawn away by distractions, but this word, it means to lead it away to captivity. 
Instead, we stay living in captivity when we need to be leading these things away to captivity. Because Jesus took the keys of hell, death, and the grave, and we take it to him, and it is under captivity. It is under the feet of Jesus. So we don't have to live with those toxic thoughts. We don't keep repeating that. We don't have cognitive dissonance. We don't have a a broken spirit because we're just being destroyed because we keep repeating that we're a failure and that we're not good enough and that we're not blessed. We don't believe it because we're not leading the the thoughts away. And and I think there's always been this thought here, if, if I just say it louder, if I just do more works, then those thoughts will go away. Or if they just got their act together and Mary started doing what she was supposed to do and Jesus got her in place, then, no, no, no. We gotta lead those toxic thoughts away. Here's something beautiful in the scriptures. This isn't the only time that Martha was a host. We have this other passage in which Mary, her sister, this is another thing why I think she was a, a woman of wealth, is, is Mary comes and she anoints Jesus with expensive perfume. She pours it out. And Martha, again, is the host. But there's no mention of distraction this time. And my guess, I'm just guessing here. I'm just kind of playing it out in my head. I think it's very possible that younger Martha would have spoke up. Hey, you shouldn't be using that oil. You, you know that's expensive. You know... She'd find some things to be distracted about, but I think she's matured in her gift by this point that she knows how to lead toxic thoughts away so she doesn't say a word. She just serves in her gift quietly and and honorably and worship unto the Lord in this. And it's Mary that's acknowledged, but I think Martha needs to be acknowledged in that too because she's matured in her spiritual gift of hospitality. Some of us who've got toxic thoughts, we gotta lead away. And the last one is, what good is it is if we get real, we get honest, we lead some toxic thoughts away, but we don't fill ourselves with God's truth. And that's the third part is we got to meditate on the truth. Meditate on the truth. Look at what this verse says, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, this is right before the scripture that you were talking about, just a few verses before. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, uh, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Like, lead the toxic things away. Begin to think on what's good and lovely and beautiful and praiseworthy about God, our creator. I think some of us, maybe we need to understand what meditation is. It's, it's not like Eastern meditation. Maybe you've been around some Eastern meditation stuff, which means let's clear our mind of everything. We clear it of, of everything, and we just have this empty mind. Like, that's the end goal. But that's not Christian meditation. That's Eastern meditation. Christian meditation um, is filling our mind with God's truth. It's leading the toxic thoughts away and meditating on God's truth. And and what Paul says in Romans 12 too is that when we do that, we're going to be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. And then we can tell what God is leading us to. We can tell what his perfect will is for our life because we've led those thoughts away. Our mind has been renewed. Hey, and some of you, you're battling through this stuff and and it's just gonna take some time. It's gonna take some time. You you know how long it takes to create a long-term memory? 21 days is a habit, a new habit. 63 days, three times that 
to create a long-term memory. So for this to get stuck into us, if you're, st- you're struggling for three months with certain thoughts, if we can replace those, and, and Taryn does this all the time, I've done this a- a- as well, is she'll write it on a note card, I am blessed, and just put it somewhere. And I'm just, I, when I see that, it's just a reminder, leave the toxic complaining thoughts away and be reminded. And so I'm just gonna meditate on, I am blessed, or I am saved, I am filled with it. I'm just gonna meditate on that for 63 days. And it becomes a long-term memory. It becomes part of who I am. Just put, your, put yourself in, in Martha's shoes for a second. And Jesus says, hey, I want to host a party at your house. I'm going to host a small group at your house. Hey, can we come to your house? Yeah, sure, Jesus, whatever you say. Like we go rushing, trying to fan- frantically clean the house. And the blitz, as we call it at our house, like the 20-minute blitz before everybody comes over. You guys know what I'm talking about. And... Um, and we get there, and other people arrive. Jesus, the Son of God, creator of heaven and earth, Savior of our souls is there, and we're miserable the whole night. We're distracted by everything. He's there. We're, we're in his presence, and, and, and we miss this moment in which God himself is wanting to teach us and shape us and share his love over us and the kindness of his mercy, but we're distracted on everything else. We often get focused on what's drawing us away, but what I'm most focused on is what you're being drawn away from. And we get focused on all the circumstances. We're waiting for all the circumstances to change, but what if they don't? Can, can we still focus on Jesus? Can we still make him the center of our life to make him the center of our thought life? I believe that God's gonna lead us in this. I believe that God's going to grow us in this. This is going to be a journey over the next four weeks to build some foundations that are going to bring some freedom to our emotional and thought life. So we're going to unpack this. Let's stand, and I want to pray over you, and this band's going to lead us this morning. Uh, just with every head bowed, eye closed, I, I just want to ask you today, if you say, Pastor, this is me, eyes closed all around the room, say, this is me, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm battling severe anxiety, some serious anxiety over a relationship, over a work situation. I'm, I'm in depression right now, or maybe it's hitting your family. Mental health is just, it's just there, and, and you need God's grace. Will you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that was for me. I need that today. Let me just pray for you. God, thank you so much right now for this uh, this room of believers who want to draw close, God, who want to make you the center of our lives. God, I pray that it's not lip service today. God, I pray that it lands on fresh soil, soil, God, that will be watered by your spirit this week and these, uh, these, this whole month, this whole year, God, that we would be people who push away the distractions. We draw, that we're not drawn away, God, but we, we are drawn to you. We're drawn to you. I pray for those, God, that are going through seasons or maybe it's been season after season after season of a life cycle of, of anxiety and depression. God, we, we believe that you can do it in an instant uh, right now, that you can set some people free. And so we trust you for that, God. We know there is freedom. But God, with that freedom, God, it's gonna be a daily fight that we continually hold on to because you made a way for that freedom already. It is finished. God, we receive it today. In Jesus' name, as this band leads us, come on, let's worship God from the depth of our souls. He's worthy. There's folks here to pray with you at the crosses. If you want to join with someone in prayer, uh, let's worship.